Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whenever you're listening to us, and how you're listening to us. Thank you for making the sports and the world podcast a part of your day. I'm Ladarius, and this week, uh, Chris is Chris is a little preoccupied this week, but he'll be back here with us next week better than ever. And speaking back and better than ever, let's jump into this. When you're an athlete, or or a person like you, I'm not trying to say athletes are better than, than people, but in any situation, it's always important to look for new opportunities. As much as we want to be in one place our entire lives, you know, mobility. Mobility, to me, is important. And I think when we look at the NBA, which we'll talk about later, you know, LeBron James started the trend of, why should we be relegated to stay at a team that does not meet our goals? So when he left Cleveland the first time to go to Miami, he won a championship. Now, that was the goal. He Could he have won a championship in Cleveland at that point? Absolutely not. But he wanted to win a championship, but then he came back and won a championship for the city. And I say all that to say that J.J. Watt, who was released by the Texans, last week got picked up surprisingly he signed a two-year 31 million dollar deal with 23 million guaranteed with the Arizona Cardinals and I'll get into the assessment of the pick you know of you know picking the Cardinals but here's the thing he went to the Cardinals he felt that was the best team he felt to win a championship and once again we'll divulge into that it's about familiarity with J.J. Watt He's reunited with Vance Joseph, his former, you know, you know, current defensive coordinator, who was the defensive backs coach in Watt's first three seasons in the NFL. You know, obviously DeAndre Hopkins, you know, Jonathan Joseph, the corner who played nine seasons with Watt in Houston. And, and but he's also a believer in Kyler Murray. He knows Kyler Murray, very familiar with Kyler Murray. And so essentially that's why he chose Arizona was familiarity. Now, going back to the point of, you know, could the Cardinals win a championship with J.J. Watt? Well, you have to break it down in layers. Like, you know, say what ogres have layers. This has layers because you have to look at the odds, Vegas odds, because they're pretty good if, if the arrow moves. Because obviously, if you look at the division, it's the Rams who the needle moved even more when they got Matthew Stafford because he's an upgrade from Jared Goff. You look at the Niners who, with the whole Jimmy G situation, they're still maybe the second best team. And Seattle, it's depending how you really feel about Seattle. I, you know, Seattle's right there at us, you know, could be a, the second best team. But, you know, just put them slightly under the Niners, because at least I know them with the Niners defensively. And then you have Arizona last. Now, did that needle move when they signed? Well, according to the sports book by William Hill, the Cardinals' odds to win the Super Bowl are still 40 to 1. It did not move. The needle didn't move. And their odds to win the NFC remain at 20 to 1. So signing J.J. Watt did not move the needle. 
and it did not move the needle because they're the third best team, you know, potentially, potentially. But right now, they're to be the fourth best team. The needle did not move. So, the only, and listen, the odds did change a little for them in the division. Went from seven to one to six to one, six to one odds. And it's still the longest odds of every team in the NFC West. So, I'm not sitting here and saying that going to Arizona was a bad move. What I'm saying is, is that if you want to win a championship, are the Cardinals with J.J. Watt a championship team? And in my opinion, I don't think so. Now, does that mean that they could, you know, kind of do what the Bucks did, get in, get into the dance, and and just and just play so well to get to a Super Bowl? That's very possible. But here's the thing: when you look at the other suitors that Watt had such as the Colts and the Browns, you know, the Titans, you know, as those suitors. According to Charles Robinson of Yahoo Sports, the other suitors were in the range of $23 million over two years, not 31 So, are you saying, Darius, what's your point by mentioning that? Because here's the thing. Good teams are not going to go out of pocket. Because usually good teams don't have cap space. Now, I'm, I'm, well, Arizona had cash space. Are you saying Arizona's bad? No. But what I'm saying is teams like the Colts, teams like, even the Browns, I'll admit it, the Browns, look, they were, because they know they're a championship caliber team or they feel as though they're a championship caliber team. So they may throw out that amount of money because they say, hey, if you want to win a championship, you'll take less money to come play with us. And here's the thing. In that philosophy, you see it even in the NBA. Because case in point, when you look at, go back to LeBron James. LeBron James took less money to go play in Miami. And so did Chris Bosh to go to Miami. And it culminated in championships. So it does work because when you have a brand... When you're a brand, a team is a brand. When you know that you're good, you're like, okay, we don't, we're not going to just throw peanuts at them, but we're not going to throw gold bars at them either. We're not going to throw the bank at them. And you see this philosophy a lot with major businesses. If you're a potential, if you're, if you're a company and you hire someone, you're like, well, we're Microsoft, we're Google, you know, we're Tesla. You know, we're Fortune 500 companies. We want you to be here, but we're not going to break our bank to get you because our brand, our brand is good enough that you can succeed and you can still make money. And this is one of the things where I say a trap comes in because you cannot go into any industry for money. Because what happens is, if you go into a business for money, what happens is, is that you'll just, you'll settle. You'll settle. And like I said, you see it in Hollywood, and listen, you can clearly tell actors and actors who took money, and you know, okay, that was for the money. But, when you reach a certain point of your career, 
you can choose which movies to go because money is not a priority. Now, I'm not saying J.J. Watt took Arizona because offered the most money. Yes, you can argue there's familiarity, but to pass on the Colts, even the Browns, who offer him less money, makes you believe that does Arizona have the tools to win a championship? And here's my point on that. Now, Sportsline broke this down. They did a very good job. Now, before J.J. Watt got there, the Cardinals were slated to win eight, eight, you know, 8.8 games. That's the average they had. With Watt, it's 9.2, so it's only a .4 differential. Now, when the division, as I mentioned earlier, didn't really change. It changed a little bit. Moved the needle from about 16% to almost 22%, to, and about almost 6% in that area. So, here's where you see the next two stats where you kind of see the true differential. Now, before J.J. Watt, this was not a playoff team. This was, you know, 49.3. Now they have Watt. You know, it's around 58 and a half. That's a 9.2 difference. So they increase in that department. Winning a championship, this team had a 2.2% chance. Adding Watt just bumped it up a percentage point to 3.2. So that's my argument. My point is, I'm not sitting here knocking that J.J. Watt is not going to change, you know, the Cardinals. Yeah, absolutely. The defense just got better. Watt, Chandler Jones, Hassan Reddick, Buda Baker, you got Isaiah Simmons. I'm not saying that the team is not going to be better because his presence will make them better. But if you want to win a championship, that's important. If that's the penultimate goal, you had to take less money. I mean, you, like I say, you ha you can't expect teams like the Colts to, to pony up two years and $31 million because they feel that their brand is like good enough where you go, hey, you come here, we can win a championship. And I do believe the Colts were the, the better option simply because you look at the way Chris Ballard, the GM, has that roster structured. It makes sense. And, and then getting a quarterback, that's important. And Carson Wentz, it makes you think. Now, am I saying Kyler Murray is terrible? No. But Kyler Murray has to play significantly better. Because if we asked you what the problem with the Arizona Cardinals were, you know, listen... Nobody said, you know, defensive end. They said, well, they'll go to the draft. Then you go and then you sign J.J. Watt. And that does help your front set. It helps tremendously. But does that get you to the next level? Because what you saw, listen, what you saw Tom Brady do was that his talent, New England, did not make the playoffs. All of a sudden, he goes to Tampa, who didn't, win, who didn't make the playoffs the year before. He has a Lombardi trophy. And this goes to show you that certain positions are just more, you know, the needle moves further. If You know, listen, Matthew Stafford, that needle moved because it's a quarterback. The quarterback is the most important position on the field. 
I'm not saying defensive ends are, you know, useless and superfluous, but what I'm simply conjecturing is the needle's not going to move even for J.J. Watt. And listen, the team's going to get better. And at the end of the day, that's, that's fine. He was a top 20 player, you know, in terms of defensive ends last season. So it's not like he's terrible. But the needle did not move. Now, if he would have gone to the Colts, would the needle have moved? Sure, absolutely. Because they have a quarterback. And you look at the Colts like, well, if they get... If they go out and get J.J. Watt, you're like, and then you put him next to DeForest Buckner, you're like, okay, that's a Super Bowl type team because it's the AFC. Where you go matters. Also, so I hope it works out for J.J. I really do. But me right now, and the odds I just read, the needle didn't move. The the, The only way the needle moved was that this is a playoff team. Like, there's, I, I feel confident today they could make the playoffs because, hey, there's two wild card spots. And listen, there's a good chance that three of these four teams could be in the playoffs. All, you know, maybe with the exception of the, you know, but the point is, there's the potential. Now, as far as Super Bowl run, I can't speak to that. But, but that's what I had to say about, you know, J.J. Watt. And, and speaking what I mentioned earlier about the NBA, as I mentioned with, you know, players and movement, you know, I do want to talk about the NBA because I, I don't get to talk about it enough. And I want to talk about, look, the Jazz, listen, we're now at the all, you know, we're at the All-Star break. And listen, the Jazz are two and a half games ahead of the Suns for the top spot in the West. If somebody told you that the Jazz and the, and the Suns had the two top spots in the West before the season started, you'd been like, no. But this is what I said going back to the point I made about moving the needle. See, for the Jazz, listen, Donovan Mitchell, that team, that team is playing. Quinn Snyder's doing a very good job there. But the Suns, the needle moved when they added Chris Paul. No matter how you feel about Chris Paul, the person, Chris Paul, the player, he's still a top five point guard in this league, even at his age. And he brought stability to a young team, and you're seeing it manifest. This just didn't come out of nowhere. This team is talented. This team right now, record-wise, they're better than the Lakers. They're better than the Clippers. So it goes to show you that, hey, in the NBA, you can move a needle because of a, of a player, because it's less players, and you know the less, the fewer the players, the greater the, the greater the opportunity to have an impact. So Chris Paul's impact is significant, as opposed to J.J. Watt, you know, in Arizona. That's why, you know, that's why I say, who you who gets moved where, what position matters. Like in the NBA, you get a point guard. Or you get a star, needle moves. Even you get a you get a crafty veteran, moves the needle. In the NFL, quarterbacks move needles. Like I said earlier, Matthew Stafford moves needles. You, even Detroit. Detroit should feel Detroit should feel better because they have a quarterback of the future. It moves the needle, maybe not in the way they want it to move, but it's moving nonetheless. And then you go out to the East, listen. 
The Sixers are a half game up on the Nets for the top spot in the East. This right here has the feels of, you know, these are the two best teams. I think when the season ends, I can safely say that these two teams are going to be the top, at least one of the top, two of the top three seeds in the East. Because here's the thing. When you're the Sixers, I'll be the first guy to admit in the room I was completely wrong. Because I wrote an article eons ago, it feels, that I said they should trade Joel Embiid. And Joel Embiid is an MVP candidate. And a lot of people were, were to vote today. He'd be the MVP of the league. And it goes to show you that you bring in a guy like Doc Rivers, and he got better. And all of a sudden, you know, Ben Simmons not being a great shooter still gets talked about, but not as much because, hey, you're winning in the East. You're the, one of the best teams in the Eastern Conference. So that kind of dissipates. And as for the Nets, here's the thing. Am I saying today that the Nets are, are better than the Sixers? If you ask me today, I would say yes. Because, listen, James Harden leaving Houston. We could talk about how fractured of a relationship that is because, let's face the facts, it's super fractured. But... James Harden was an MVP. James Harden, we could talk about, you know, his ball-centric style. But listen, all of a sudden, he's, he's, he, he, he's playing like the way he was in Oklahoma City, where this guy is just, he's, he's an assist man. He'll get buckets and he can get passes. He can get, he can get assists. So when you throw that in with Kevin Durant, and you got Kyrie, and then if they go out and get Boogie Cousins or, or, you know, whoever they get, it reportedly, you know, Blake, Blake Griffin was waived by the Pistons in a buy, contract buyout. So whoever they pick up, because they're going to be looking. And listen, if they add a big man, because that's where I feel they fall flat at when they got rid of Jared Allen, that they don't have a big man. They don't have a five. I'm not saying that five has to be, you know, a stretch five and, you know, play the perimeter. No, they need a re they need help there. So, as for the Nets, Steve Nash for the first year as a first year coach, is doing a great job. And what's important here is, is that managing egos, because with Spolstra, like I say, when Spolstra at the Heat, listen, when they had James and they had Bosch, they had Wade, it was about managing egos. Steve Nash is doing the very same thing right now. It's just that how do you handle the egos? Because you're dealing with, you could argue, three of maybe the best 20 players in the world on your roster. 15 and 20, depending how you have your players. But what you know for sure is that Harden and Durant are definitely, you have them in your top 10, confidently. How do you handle that from this point on? You know, because listen, they're playing well. And speaking of playing well, I want to give a shout out to the New York Knicks because Chris, the co-host, listen, he's a listen, he's a New Yorker, all through and through. And in terms of his sports fan fandom, the Knicks right now they're fifth in the East. And why are they fifth in the East? It's defense. Tom Thibodeau, defense. How do I know that? Their defensive rating one hundred eight point eight. It's second in the NBA. The opponent points per game, 104.4. That's best in the NBA. You're starting to see in New York. Listen, it's defense, and you're starting to see guys like R.J. Barrett. You know, he's playing well. Freight Nicotilla. 
playing better. But Julius Randle, all of a sudden, is looking like a guy who's worth the money the Knicks gave him. Because Thibodeau took the pressure off of Randle of being the guy. And brought in, made him more versatile. And and I give kudos to Tom Thibodeau. And listen, his old school style, listen, you're seeing a lot of, you're going to see a lot more veterans on this team getting minutes because that's Thibodeau. See, this is what the Knicks needed. See, the thing with the Knicks is that the Knicks, and I'm not knocking Fizdale or any of, you know, who took this job who failed. Thibodeau coaches Thibodeau. He does not care about the media. That's what makes him a great coach. Thibodeau will play who he plays, and we have to accept it or not. So, and you're starting to see that. Now, can the Knicks play better? Here's the problem. They're not great offensively, and that's always been the downside of pretty much all of any team Tom Tom Thibodeau has ever coached. Because here's the thing. Their offensive rating, 109.2, that's 23rd in the NBA. Points a game, they're next to last at 104.9 points a game. Listen, they beat you by playing in the 80s and the 90s. They're not going to beat you in a shootout. Okay, it's, if, if you had to use a sports equivalent, think of them as an NFL team that just grinds the ball. They just run the ball. They're like the Tennessee Titans. Where, you know, defensively, except, you know, maybe defensively not so. But in terms of their offensive philosophy is that, hey, it's all about deep. It's all about grinding the ball. It's about running the ball. And you need, and it works. And it can work. But in the NBA, you need scores. So I would be curious to see if the Knicks pursue shooting. Because if they get the shooter... They can make some noise, but when you're competing, Boston's better, the Sixers are better, the Nets are better, so Milwaukee's, you know, we can debate on that. But the Knicks are looking like a playoff team. And that's kudos to Tom Thibodeau bringing in a philosophy that's long overdue. And I think of long overdue, you know... This episode may not be as long, but because there's so much to say. But before we before we wrap up, I, I want to just mention some things before I dive into my big picture and talk about wrestling and then something else that came to my mind, you know, came to mind earlier this week. I want to talk about direction. And one of the things that I do want to talk about is the direction of this show and what you're going to see is a change of the format is is that we're going to talk about sports we're going to talk about real things that go on in the world because it's sports of the world and one of the things that i want to lead and talk about with is about what i what i see going on one of the things that for the record i'm not going to talk about politics you know my co-host may but i'm not going to what i talk about is i talk about issues and one of the things that I always want to talk about is how we talk to one another, because that to me is important. Having conversations, having dialogue is important. And, and I noticed through social media how we simply can't talk to one another. 
We can disagree. That's the beauty of our country. But we have to learn to talk to one another. And I just want to throw that in there because I've, I've noticed it. I've observed it. And I know we can do better. Because I don't care what your politics are. You know, I have my, my views. You have your views. You, the listener. But this is a show where I want to have those conversations. But we can have civil discussions. Because there's too much negativity going on. And I'm not going to fall into the trap. Which I almost did. Of talking politics and making it confrontational. I talk about issues. And, and how you may deem those issues. You can make it political. But I won't. So just wanted to throw that piece of commentary in there. And and also, you know, just another thank you for listening. And, and also, we might be doing a trivia, sports trivia kind of challenge. And if you're listening, if you want to participate, contact the show. Go on social media, at Sports The War, both Twitter and Instagram. Go to my personal Instagram, at Ladares, double underscore Brown. Go to, go to my Twitter, at Ladares underscore Brown, if you want to get involved. You know, so I'm thinking about if you are interested in participating as well. So, I want to close this episode by talking about wrestling. Because, like I say, I said earlier in previous episodes, I want to talk more about wrestling. And I want to talk about Bobby Lashley becoming WWE Champion. And this, to me, is a culmination of a couple of things. This is why he came back to WWE. And yes, he took the long way. If you know the storylines, the Sami Zayn story, the Lana storyline. Listen, we got there. He got with the Hurt Business. You started to feel that, okay, Lashley's going to be champion. No, he was United States champion. But he could be world champion. And it all came to fruition, you know, Monday night. And I just want to simply say that Bobby Lashley winning, to me, signifies two things. It signifies and, and puts the Hurt Business as arguably one of the best factions, not just going today, but when we look back at this faction in five to ten years, We'll be saying it's one of the best top five factions in the history of WWE. Everybody has gold. Yes, but everybody in that faction. Lashley, Shelton Benjamin, Cedric Alexander, MVP. How you utilize your talent. And listen, how Raw utilizes talent. Listen, that's a whole nother podcast. And I trust many of the wrestling podcasts I listen to. They could go into it in much greater detail. But it feels as though that when you watch the Hurt Business, you're like, you're watching something special. And if you think about it, they did it the same way with, with New Day, where Kofi was champion. And Big E, Xavier Woods, tag team champ, they were, they were champions. And I'm not saying belts make the faction, but it certainly helps the credibility. So that's number one. Number two, when you look at Lashley's career, Lashley, to me, is going to be one of those guys where you look back and go, man, everywhere he went, he was good. Everywhere he went, he made an impact. 
Listen, I may, you know, listen, Bobby Lester on the microphone, I don't care. He has MVP. But what I will say is this. Listen, you don't have to be the greatest on the mic to be a champion. Does it help? Absolutely. But the fact of the matter is, is that when you look at Bobby Lashley's career and you look at the culmination of all of these things, you look like he's pound for pound, one of the best fighters, you know, one of the best wrestlers, you can say fighters too, that I've ever seen. Because I throw him into that same category as a Brock Lesnar, where you're that big and... (laughs) And you move that quick. It's Bobby Lashley. He's strong. And, you know, you can't, I can't say enough good things about it. Because I root for guys like Bobby Lashley. And before people say, oh, is it a race? No, no, no. I root for guys like Bobby Lashley because they got something that eluded them. You know, him winning the championship solidify what myself and other wrestling fans have known of how good Bobby Lashley is. And he keeps that belt through WrestleMania, you have options. I personally want to see Lashley versus Lesnar. That's me. Now, would it main event either night? Mm, maybe not. Because I, I, I hold steadfast and believe that Edge and Roman and... Sasha Banks and Bianca Belair will will main event the two nights of WrestleMania. But you're going to get a good match, a good quality match. So that's a shout out to to Bobby Lashley into the Hurt Business. Just absolute, you watch him and you go, man, they're that good. And we're not talking arguably the best faction today in the company. But you could argue and you look back. Like, look back at New Day, you're like... If someone would have told you that those three, Biggie, Woods, you know, uh, you know, Xavier Woods, and Kobe Kingston would be one of the greatest factions of all time, you'd be like, nah, no way. That's how people are going to feel when the Hurt Business was formed. You never thought that Sheldon Benjamin, Sergio Alexander, MVP, and Lashley would work. But it works. Because it goes into talent. You got to have elements. You have the talent for it, and you got to have a good leadership. And that's, to me, I think Kofi kind of leads the New Day, and MVP leads the Hurt Business. So, but that being said, and, and wait, you thought I was going to forget. You know, if you guys were AEW, you're not going to forget I'm talking about Shaq. I talked about the NBA, so obviously I had to throw in Shaq. Listen, Shaq took himself a bump. And listen, for a guy that big, he took, listen, he took that bump through that table like a champ. And seeing more Shaq is fine by me. But I had to throw that in there. You know, because I, had, I talked with the NBA on the show. You thought I was just going to forget about that? No. You know, big men don't forget other big men. So, speaking of things not forgetting, before I go, don't forget to like and subscribe to, and you get to hear this episode and every episode of the Sports in the World podcast. And, and until you hear me and Chris again next week, be real, be you, be blessed from all of us here from the Sports and the World podcast.